Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's broadcast. I hope you had an awesome 4th of July celebrating America's independence. I have my awesome mug with me here today. It says Donald Trump, 45th president right here. Inauguration, January 20th, 2017. And on the backside, we have Mike Pence. He made it to the cup. 48th uh, vice president. This was actually a gift that uh, Pastor Jim and Lori Baker gave to me during the time in action. It was President Trump was president-elect. So yes, so listen, we are celebrating our independence uh, for America here on the broadcast today and next week in a two-part mini-series. It's going to be awesome. I really think that you're going to be learning things, especially next week. Oh my gosh, like this is going to be absolutely incredible. So really, we're going to be talking about two things on this broadcast and the next one. So like I said, you will not want to miss the next episode because we're setting it up for the next episode. Two things. Topic one, the reason America became great is because we actually copied God's perfect way of governing in the Old Testament. But then we elected a king in America to rule the people. And it was primarily after the Civil War, but there was a time of escalation in the 1900s. And that king, so to speak, in the same way Israel ultimately elected a king, our king in America is the federal government. And I'm, it really does parallel. It's a very interesting mystery that we'll be dealing with uh, today and next Friday. <clears throat> and topic number two, how Christianity on the decline in America will spell the end for our republic. You see, the Constitution of, of the United States was written for a moral people, You cannot read the Constitution and not have the understanding that it was written for a moral people, okay? Without Christianity at America's core, our republic will ultimately fail. That is how the Constitution was written. And the founders understood that while writing the Constitution and giving the people the right to literally govern themselves, that they had to first be governed within by God. And, you know, that begs another question. So why does why does the leadership of the left, prim, primarily the left, despise our Constitution? You see, that it's because the Constitution is a conservative document with Christian values embedded throughout. So really, when people hate, not Republicans or, or whatever, but whenever they hate our Constitution, it's actually largely a spiritual issue that's taking place within them, not a political one. You know, another great thing about our Constitution is that it prevents radical, quick changes. The Constitution is hard to amend. It slows change. When radical change to life is brought forth that would change the very fabric of our nation, the Constitution emphatically yells, stop, let's think about this. This is, oh, there goes my coffee cup. You see, this is another reason why so many people hate the Constitution, because they want radical, quick change, and our Constitution prevents that. I believe the reason America, from its founding, has become so great, so powerful, so prosperous, is because our founding fathers established and followed the pattern of governance that the Lord established in the Old Testament. Okay? And we have become the world's superpower because of that. You know, if you think about Israel, 
how it was governed in the Old Testament. Many people will just think about the kings from Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, and all the rest that we can read about in the scripture after that. But this was not how God, whenever Israel was governed by the kings, this is not how God wanted his people to be governed. This was God's second choice. It grieved him to have a physical king over his people. You could read about that in the exchange between the Lord and Samuel. You know, and I'll actually be reading that scripture later in this little mini-series to illustrate that. You see, Israel was originally designed to govern themselves while first being governed by God. Think about it. You had the tribes of Israel all allocated certain parts of the land that were their state, so to speak. They had certain geographical limitations. These, this tribe was issued this land. This tribe was issued this land in Israel. They had their little states. Their constitution was the law. They had no king at that time but God. There wasn't a centralized power. The tribes were essentially sovereign states. Each tribe had a set of judges that were supposed to judge rightly and, and by their constitution, the law of God, whom they were all governed by. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. The founding fathers did much of the same thing. So on today's program, I want to take you down a little history lesson, okay? And then we're going to come back to this for some shocking revelations. Now, once again, I got to remind you, this is a two-part show, so do not miss the next broadcast. Joining me right after this is our co-host, Andrew Bellers. It was in uh, 1787 that the Constitution of the United States was written. It took over 100 days for it to be written. And it was actually written in what is today known as Independence Hall. Now, there's a famous story. We've actually talked about this story uh, on one of our previous broadcasts. There's a famous story of an exchange between Ben Franklin, who was one of the men at this 100-day convention writing the Constitution, and a certain Mrs. Powell from Philadelphia. So after all of this had been done and they had solidified the Constitution, Ben Franklin on, on day 100 walked out of, like I said, what's known as Independence Hall. Mm -hmm. And a Mrs. Powell of Philadelphia asked Ben Franklin, well, doctor, what have we got? A republic or a monarchy? And Ben Franklin shot back and said, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. Hmm. That's what he said. A republic. And that's what we are. A republic, madam, yeah. if you can keep it. Because the founding fathers fully understood the extent that the Constitution was written for a moral people. And if a moral people loosened the tie of morality, you see, the more freedom people have. Because we are... We have a carnal nature. We are born into sin. The right. more freedom a people has, the tighter the tie of morality has to be, okay? The tighter the tie of morality. So here's the thing, is that he understood it is a republic if you can keep it. Because he understood that Christianity was at the core of the Constitution. If they, the people yeah. of America could not be governed by themselves and then governed within themselves by the Lord, it would fail. Think about this. This was the first time in modern history that a people was governed by the people. There's a book. You've got to pick it up, okay? You've got to read it. It's by Eric Metaxas. It's called If You Can Keep It. 
listen, go and get it. It's awesome. It's it's a great book. Eric Metaxas said in his book, if you can keep it, he said this, the idea that our government is we the people is not a corny idea that doesn't mean much. It is something that is utterly real. It is in fact an idea of great genius and it is the main operating principle by which this nation has stayed alive and has expanded its freedoms for over two centuries. But once we the people begin to forget that and cease to do what is necessary as Americans, it all begins to fall apart. But you see, Andrew, there's a whole other stream of history in America right now. There are left-wing organizations that would have you believe that the founders were not just not Christian, but they were just not religious in any way, shape, or form, that they were basically atheist men. And that their goal, and this is the story, the the revisionist history, their goal is that this would be completely <coughs> secular culture and a secular government. It's just not true. Uh, we were recently watching a, a sermon, really a message from Dr. Robert Jeffress, yeah. and it was really, really good. It was really inspiring. And there's some things that he said that were very eye-opening. Um, uh, basically, this is one of the things that he highlighted is that 52. So so this is what people will say in the schools, in left-wing organizations that that the founders were the not. founders, they'll, they'll paint them even as like, you know, it was a mixed. Uh, they had mixed views and everything on, on religion and God. It's just not true at all. 52 out of 55 men who attended the Constitutional Convention were Orthodox Christians they weren't a mixture of atheists and deists or whatever. They were full-on Christians. 52 out of 55. 52 out of 55. Yeah. Now, two of them, Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin, um, are what you would call deists. Now, when people say this about these two men, it sounds like they're painting them as atheists. These men were not atheists. A deist is someone who believes that God, that there is an unmoved mover, that there is a creator God, and after he's created, he takes his hands off. But they're not even strict deists because they don't believe that. Here's a quote from Benjamin Franklin. He said, I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an, that an empire can rise without his aid? So he wasn't a strict deist. He's what you call a Christian deist. Which still isn't a good thing, but still, it's a lot right. better than being a, a, an atheist. But, but the point is that these two men believed in a god and and a compassionate god who governs in the affairs of men they were not atheists this was not a mixed council these were which, christians which is in interesting that these 52 out of 55 men were orthodox christians okay well then you have benjamin franklin all right thomas jefferson now at which were known as christian deists but it's interesting because a christian deist means that you believe in the god of the bible but you don't necessarily believe in the divinity of jesus so basically right. they there was 52 out of 55 uh were Orthodox Christian, then there was a couple of that were basically Jewish. I mean, right? That's that's basically right. I mean, truly. Now, yeah. Here, here's another thing, though. But it's interesting because Benjamin Franklin also believed that Congress should seek God's blessing with an opening prayer every single time they met. This is one of the founding fathers. Let's just read through some of them. John Adams, the second president of the United States. On apart from faith, we will lose the republic. We have no government unbridled by morality and religion. We don't have a government. If the people are not a moral people and they're not governed by Jesus, that's yes. because he was a, a, a devout Christian. Yes, he was. He says this, our constitution was made holy for a moral and religious people. 
it is wholly inadequate to a government of any other. Hmm. Actually, Eric Metaxas in his book, he said, Adams understood what we've been saying, actually, that the secret to self-government is that the people must themselves be self-governing, which is to say that they must be motivated by something beyond the law. And this is how all the founders felt. Here's another quote from John Adams. The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. John Jay, another founder who was the first chief justice. Just imagine the difference between... Anyway, (laughs) providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. And this one's from George Washington, of course, our first president, in his first inaugural address. He said, No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States. Here's another one from George Washington. In his farewell address at the end of a second term in 1796, this is what he said. Let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principles. Basically, he's saying national morality cannot prevail apart from the Bible, apart from Jesus. These were these were Christian men. Mm-hmm. So the question is, what would enable a group of people to be trusted to govern themselves and then to actually do so? It was one word. It was Jesus. Mm -hmm. And the founding fathers knew and understood that it was every generation's responsibility to pass the torch onto the next generation. Yeah. Or what? We won't keep it. You know, Andrew, it's true that before the ratification of the constitution that there were certain states that even to be in office in that state you had to be a christian yeah and it wasn't even in certain states it was in most cases like delaware yeah so so delaware's constitution uh, they actually had an article article 22 where um in order to take this wild in order to take office you had to say these words i your first and last name do profess faith in God the Father and in Jesus Christ and his, his only Son this and in the, the Holy Ghost, of Delaware. one God, blessed forevermore. <clears throat> and I do acknowledge the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. That's that's something you actually had to say in order to hold office in our country in most states. That's awesome. That's awesome. What in the world has happened? What has happened to? What has happened to our government in Washington, D.C.? Why have they taken basically the rights of our sovereign states? You know, For example, like let's just even talk about, talk about what they've done to our, our schools. Did you know that a book called The English Primer was used in grade schools for 150 years in America? 150 mm. years. This is This was the most sold book in the 1700s, and I believe it was in the 1800s as well, was it contained prayers, creeds, Bible verses that children had to memorize. They had to memorize an acrostic of the entire alphabet where every letter represented a Bible verse. It was called the New England Primer. For 150 years... 150 years. 
This is incredible. And today they would say, you know, that's unconstitutional because the Constitution says that there should be a separation of church and state. Which that's baloney. You know, there's a, there was, there's a poll. Okay, there's si- the the poll says that 69 percent of Americans believe that separation of church and state is in the Constitution. 69 percent believe that it's nowhere. It's not in the Constitution. It's not. It's so, not even there. So the Constitution does say they're referring to the First Amendment, and it says that there should be no establishment of religion, or the uh, or you can't prohibit the free exercise thereof. So it was not created to hurt religion. It was created to protect religion. So where they get that phrase, uh, the separation of church and state, is actually from a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote. It was to a Baptist church. At, mm-hmm. at this time in history, um, most, cha- most states had a, a church-sponsored state, which meant that your taxes went to a certain church. Mm-hmm. And, and this Baptist church said, we don't want... Our taxes going to this congregational church because they don't hold the beliefs that we Listen, hold. Listen, I'm, I'm just throwing this out, throwing this out there, okay? Please, or trust me, we are setting the stage for next Friday's show. Hmm. That we, it is a mystery. We have paralleled the divine government of ancient Israel. Okay, I, I don't know if I haven't heard people talk about this. I'm talking about before the king, before before the people grieved the heart of the Lord and elected their first king in the Old Testament, Saul. We're mimicking it. You know, even down to this, as far as donating to, you know, your your goods to the Levites. For, yeah. them, for, for them to be sustained. The tribes... And as as a tribe and as an as an individual, what donate the best, the the first part of their of their yield to the Levites, the priests. That is what our sovereign states were doing. It is wow. And so basically, in this situation, um, <clears throat> and this situation, there were there were there were like I said, state sponsored churches, and the the Baptist church said we don't want our money going to this specific church, and Thomas Jefferson wrote them. A letter back and he said um well he basically said you don't have to give your money to their to that church and he and he quoted um the first amendment where in the context he he was saying what the first amendment is which is that a, a state shouldn't establish one denomination over another that's key listen to what he just said so whenever we hear about them arguing about establishing a religion whenever you read about it in context it was about Mm -hmm. establishing a denomination of christianity above another denomination saying that baptist can't rule at all presbyterian can't Mm -hmm. rule at all it's it's not about denomination it is about jesus it is about the church of the lord but it's not about a particular d- denomination. Yeah, and really the idea was restricting how you can worship the way that you want to worship. And that's what was happening, um, I mean, in the Church of, of England, where you, you had to prescribe to a certain denomination. You had to worship a certain way. You had to go to certain services. Your money had to go to this church. And that's what the founders wanted to protect people against. But but like I said before, the First Amendment was not intended to restrict your religious freedom. It was intended to protect it exactly and and we know what thomas jefferson's heart was in this because of what he did immediately after there's no second guessing you can judge where his heart was by his actions 
it was actually just two days after writing this letter that Thomas Jefferson didn't only just attend a worship service at the Capitol building, he organized it. Okay, Thomas Jefferson authorized the use of the Capitol building for the founding <clears throat> of the first Christian church in Washington, D.C. Okay, this is this is our history as America. And people talk about him like he's, he's an atheist. Exactly. And it, this is what the founders understood, that government... So here's the thing. Why do we need government? We need government because people are bad and they need to be governed. Okay, good. Who's going to govern those people? Other people. Other people that are bad <laughs> yeah. and need to uh, be that's governed. Funny point. Yeah. So so how does it work then? Those people need to be governed within themselves by God. It is a lie that our founders were not Christian and did not design a nation for Christians. Exactly. So we look at the state of the union right now. It's a lot different than it was even fifty or sixty years ago. So what happened? What happened to our nation? I can tell you what happened. It was a set of rulings by our Supreme Court justices that changed America. Because why? Why? These Supreme Court justices were no longer governed by the Lord. Yeah. That's, what it, that's what it came down to. They built a wall of separation. Andrew, let's just kind of go back and forth. You can start with the first one. We're going to read through a few different uh, Supreme Court uh, rulings that changed the fabric of our nation. Yeah. So one of the earliest ones was in 1947. It was the case of Justice Hugo Black and Everson versus the Board of Education. Um, the state of New Jersey was using tax dollars to support religious schools. At that time, the only religious schools were Catholic schools. Uh, and the justice who delivered the majority opinion was a justice by the name of Hugo Black. Mm -hmm. And he was saying, so this is when you really see the idea of separation of church and state come into to our, to our um, judicial rulings and into our law. He said, this breaches the separation of church and state, which is high and impregnable. So something that is important to know about this case is that Justice Hugo Black was a member of the KKK. Mm -hmm. And uh, the his... only people that hate, the only people that the KKK hates more than, or maybe right around the same amount as, as black people, is Catholics. Yeah. And that's what it was about. It was this, this was about the state of New Jersey was using tax dollars to support religious schools, and those were Catholic, Catholic schools. schools. It was, it was, well, in in the words of a couple of other Supreme Court justices, Justice Anton Scalia yeah, and uh, Justice awesome. Clarence Thomas, they agreed that this was a bigoted ruling, that there was, this was completely biased, that this was not based in law. This was because this man hated these people, and he didn't want money going to them. That's right. Uh, Engel versus uh, Vitali, this was 1962. The court ruled that students could no longer voluntarily offer this 22-word prayer. They can't do it voluntarily. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon thee, and we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Students could no longer offer that prayer because that, oh my gosh, how could anybody disagree with that? The court said, a unity of government and religion tends to destroy government and degrade religion. Hmm. 
1963. Yeah, and this is where this is where it really starts to get crazy. So this is a uh, Abington School District versus Shemp in 1963. This this case outlawed students reading ten verses of scripture at the beginning of each school day voluntarily. By the way. And and this is where you really start to see the the perversity of of our morality in America, our morality being skewed. Uh, one expert said, if portions of the New Testament were read without explanation, it could be psychologically harmful to the children. Wow, nineteen sixty seven. The Spain versus DeKalb County Community School District. The Supreme Court upheld a ruling that kindergartners could no longer read this poem in school. We thank you for the flowers so sweet. We thank you for the food we eat. We thank you for the birds that sing. We thank you for everything. And then the last one. Yeah. This was 1980, Stone versus Graham. Probably one of the most popular ones. The court ruled that the Ten Commandments could not be posted in schools any longer. Quote, if the posted copies of the Ten Commandments are to have any effect at all, it will be to induce the school children to read, meditate upon, perhaps to venerate and obey the commandments. However desirable this might be is a matter of private devotion. Hmm. It is not permissible state objective under the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. And remember, the First Amendment was written... And it was intended not to restrict religious freedom, but to protect it. It has been flipped. It's like Isaiah 520. They will call the good things evil and the evil things good. It'll be a a flip-flop. And that is what we're seeing. And the decline of America after that is astounding. Yeah. Can you talk about that? I can. Um, Basically... Uh, what it, it we was see William after Bennett. that, William Bennett, who was the former Secretary of Education under Ronald Reagan, issued the Index of Leading Cultural Indicators. Uh, he studied the trends for 30 years between 1960 and 1990. We've talked about how the, the 60s kind of were the turning point morally for our country. And this is where in the judiciary, um, basically, the, we had an all-out assault on Christianity. And what was the outcome? From these rulings of the Supreme Court justices, you can pinpoint it is because of these rulings, the stark increase of perversity in America. And this is what started happening. There was a 419 increase rate, uh, increase in the rate of illegitimate births, about a 400 increase in the rate of divorces, over 200% increase in teenage suicide rates. Um, SAT scores dropped almost 80 points, and there was a 560% increase in violent crimes. And today, it just keeps getting worse. Over 10 million teenagers in the U.S. drink alcohol regularly. 20% of them are binge drinking. Nearly 28 children, 2,800 children die every year from gun violence. 1,400, uh, 14,000, sorry, are injured. Nearly 1 million babies, uh, we've talked about this tons of times, nearly 1 million babies were murdered in the womb last year. One in four women will have had an abortion by the age of 45. In 2011, over 500 million teenagers became pregnant, and about 30% of those pregnancies ended in abortion. Let me tell you this. I believe that since... America's founding, that America has always gone in the way that the pulpits face. 
So if you don't like what you see in America, it can be because of the shallow pulpits, the weak pulpits. America goes the way that the church is facing. Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also will reject you from being my priest since you have forgotten the law of God. I will also forget your children. Listen, we're setting the stage for what is to come uh, next week about how all of this, our history as Americans has paralleled the history of ancient Israel. And it's very interesting. Even going down to whenever we declared our independence in 1776, there were 13 colonies at that time. And whenever Israel was given independence, so to speak, whenever their nation was established, there were 13 tribes. Well, I thought there was 12 tribes. Well, there's a mystery there. How we parallel to Israel is an incredible thing. And we are totally out of time for this week. But listen, once again, do not miss next week's program. And, and we do need your help. Listen, if you want to partner with us, do that. Just go to ZachDrewShow.com and click that bright orange donate button. We need uh, one-time gifts are great, but we rely on those monthly givers that we can count on every month. You can also write to us at IGBY, P.O. Box 797, Decatur, Illinois 62525. Hey, we love you guys. Stay tuned for next week.